Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show again today. In something of a postscript to series three on raising finance in property, I'm joined on the show today by Amit Ramnani from Fernhill Partners. Amit is a wealth advisor and he explained to me how we could use an existing investment portfolio consisting of various non-property financial instruments such as stocks and shares, bonds and gilts, cash, um, funds and that sort of thing to act as collateral collateral security for a loan that could be used for our property uh, activities. Let's look at leverage in a different kind of way this week then. Firstly, a disclaimer that Amit asked me to read out before we share the discussion that we had on the phone in a minute. The information contained in this podcast is provided as an information service only and does not constitute financial product advice or tax advice. None of the information provided takes into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You must determine whether the information is appropriate in terms of your particular circumstances. For financial product advice, you should consider seeking independent financial and tax advice. Phew. Right, with that out of the way, let's have a listen to my interview with Amit now, and I shall pick things up again once again at the end. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Hi there. Well, I'm uh, very pleased to have a special guest with me today. It's Amit Ramnani from uh, Fernhill Partners. He's the director of Fernhill Partners. Hi, Amit. How are you doing? Great, great. Uh, Thanks for having me here on the Property Voice. Uh, Very much looking forward to this. Me too. Well, thanks a lot for joining me. I really appreciate it. And in in fact, um, we should have had you on. I did a series on financing and you probably heard it. I know that you sometimes listen to the podcast. Thank you for that. Um, but we should have had you on the show a while ago, and um, that's really my fault. But something you said to me fairly recently in a conversation that really piqued my interest and stimulated actually this, uh, this conversation we're about to have. And you were talking to me about leverage portfolios or leverage investment portfolios, actually. And, yes. Uh, yeah, and how it could potentially be used to fund our property activities. So we kind of obviously, obviously wearing the property hat, and you're wearing the investment portfolio hat. And yes. um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. So why don't you just introduce yourself more more formally, if you like, to our listeners so people know who you are and, and what your particular background is. So that, sure. Uh, frame, frame sure. For you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. My, my name is uh, Ahmed Ramnani. I'm, uh, I'm British and uh, I uh, divide my time between the UK and uh, South America. I spend most of my time in South America in uh, Rio. In fact, uh, uh, seeing expatriate clients in uh, Rio, Sao Paulo, and uh, uh, Bogota. And um, uh, Fernhill Partners is an independent financial consultancy, and we're focused on uh, financial and tax planning for international executives. Um, we, we do you know, anything from planning you know, retirement to uh, portfolio management, looking at new portfolios and optimizing uh, existing investments. And at the moment, there's a you know a global tax sharing agreement called the Common Reporting Standard. So we're actively involved in a variety of areas in uh, 
global financial planning. And yes, uh, the topic we're discussing today, leveraged investment portfolios, is something which has uh, come up uh, quite a lot amongst my uh, client base. It's a very, very useful tool and it adds value to certain clients' financial planning, especially with uh, respect to their uh, uh, ambitions to invest in property. So <clears throat> thank you for that. I just want to be clear though. So whilst you obviously something of a globe trotter there, um, is there any barrier for you to work with pretty much anyone in, in any jurisdiction, any country? Well, we, our market, uh, we, we say that our market is um, more of an expat market, uh, international executives, high net worth. Um, there are some cases where uh, clients may benefit more than others depending on their uh, jurisdiction. Typically, uh, uh, typically our market, you know, given that it's expats, it would be you know, South America, Europe, Asia. Um, but there are, are clients from Western Europe and the US, but uh, they'll be taking specific tax advice and we say to, we say that to every every client you're responsible for your own uh, tax advice we can we can recommend people we can recommend professionals and uh, give them a, a broad you know broad guidance broad parameters but the actual computation reporting uh, we advise them to take uh, advice from a, a local qualified professional in that respect okay understood All right. so this this whole idea then of a, of a leveraged investment portfolio which we we were talking about um, over a period of weeks or months now probably what what, ex what exactly is it could you just explain it for us okay well leverage the idea of uh, leverage is uh, using borrowed money so a leveraged investment strategy or a leveraged invest investment portfolio is using that capital as security and taking a loan out against that capital. So for example, let's just say, let's take the amount, uh, a million pounds for example, you can borrow, let's say 20%, 50%, up to the maximum I've seen in this business is, uh, is 65%. So you can take out a loan using your capital as security. And, um, and that, people say, why would you do that? Why wouldn't we just use the cash for an investment? Well, the key reason is you can borrow, uh, you can borrow at a lower rate, and aim to aim to gain a higher rate on the uh, on the value of the capital. And if you look at the borrowed money element of that, let's say let's say it's five hundred thousand. Let's say it's fifty percent loan to capital there. Uh, if it's fifty percent, some of that can some or all of it can be reinvested into the portfolio. But in the context of uh, of this discussion, we're talking about using it for property investment. So you can use that money to buy property or to keep it on standby, let's say, and then allocate some of it or all of it into uh, into the investment of property globally. Okay, so just to clarify, what in this context would be capital? What would be examples Cap of that? Yeah. Capital would be, in this context, uh, uh, a million pounds. I mean, to make it worthwhile, um, it, should be, it should be a ballpark of 400,000 pounds. But I'm going to use a million just so we can easily explain the ratios and uh, you know all of the other uh, variables. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm probably being a bit. Um, it's a much more simplistic question than that. Uh, it's a what kind, or, or more, maybe it's more complex. I don't know. But what kind of um, investments would that capital comprise? Oh right, okay. How would the money be allocated? So let's mm. say, let's say you invest the capital, or you consolidate. I mean, a lot of clients consolidate bits of capital here and there, especially if they're uh, globetrotters. Um, 
you refer to me as a globetrotter. It, it sounds quite exotic, but uh, I wish. It's mainly, it's mainly a few locations, etc. But there are some real globetrotters in, in oil and gas in particular, you know, multinational directors. And they've worked in a variety of locations. Or even if people have just stayed still and accumulated wealth, the idea is to consolidate assets or, or take money out of a bank and put it in, uh, into a wrapper, let's say, into a portfolio using that as security, and that would be allocated into, uh, into funds, so investment funds, ETFs, so exchange-traded funds, individual stocks, uh, bond funds, a variety of financial instruments, and even alternative investments, which uh, comprises of you know, low and balanced risk hedge funds, essentially putting together a balanced portfolio uh, and it has to be balanced if you're going to use it as security. It can't be a gung-ho, ad hoc, you know, kind of high risk. Uh, you're not going to get a very reasonable loan if you do that. So it's got to be a balanced uh, portfolio. And um, it would be allocated that way to give the lender reassurance that it's going to be a, a stable, it's going to have a stable performance and maintain uh, the value of loan to value. Okay, so I mean, bottom line is it might be already, it may be in cash, it may be held in um, other financial instruments, as you call them, such as stocks and shares yeah. and bonds and that sort of thing. And you yeah. kind of put, put them all together uh, into some sort of wrapper, as you call it, and then yeah. you can use that fund to raise money by borrowing against it. Is that pretty much yeah, it? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so you'd be looking at a bit of cash, the money markets, uh, bonds. Uh, within all of these categories, there are loads of subcategories, but cash, money markets, bonds, equities, and alternative investments to make sure, and the objective is that uh, it's balanced, the returns are stable regardless of market conditions. Hence, when you're, um, when you're using it as security, you should make sure that, that you know, there, there should be some equities there so you can get a little bit of long-term growth. We have to make sure that the overall performance is stable such that you can... Uh, maintain the uh, loan to value ratio and yeah. over time you want the capital to perform better than the loan that's likely that's very 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 likely it's no guarantee but it's extremely likely if it's responsibly managed and monitored yeah so in other words you're using your your investments to borrow yeah. money which you reinvest so hence the word leverage you know you're yeah borrowing against an existing well, yeah i mean there are many there are many clients there are many clients who uh who take out small loans of let's say 10 or 20% and they reinvest that into the portfolio. And, and that can be done, that can even be done with 30, 40, 50%. But for the purpose of what we're discussing, uh, we'd be looking at higher ratios, let's say 30, 40, 50%, even 65, uh, that's, those are special cases if it's a really low risk portfolio. But um, that money would be applied to uh, property. Sure. So, have you got an example, maybe with some numbers that might help illustrate the point? Um, perhaps we can have a little dive into that. Sure, sure, I can do that. I can, uh, I can talk about a, uh, an expat um, who was based in Brazil, and Brazil has uh, um, generally high interest rates. It's a high interest rate regime. It's actually coming down slowly right now. Um, but uh, let's say five years ago, this was in uh, 2012, um, an Australian expat um, consolidated assets and placed them into a portfolio based in Luxembourg. 
Now, he took out a loan, approximately 60% of the portfolio, and used this to buy a property in Brazil. And um, this was based on European interest rates at the time. European interest rates, obviously much, much lower than Brazil, and then was able to buy that property in cash and make repayments from the portfolio to the lender, also based in Luxembourg, on a monthly basis, on a monthly, quarterly basis. So it was regular interest payments and flexible ad hoc capital repayments. So you, you've got everything in that example, haven't you? <laughs> you've got, yeah, I've got it. You've got an, got an Australian resident living as an expat in Brazil who yes. basically borrowed money against his portfolio from Luxembourg uh, yeah. with a euro, against a euro, euro uh, interest rate, rather. Presumably, with the yeah. um, in that case, with, was the currency also the euro? The the repayment. Yes, it was. Okay, fine. Yes, it was. So, um, yeah, that's a. So I guess you can mix and match that, you know, according to the situation, and that's pre presumably very, very flexible. Yeah, yeah, it was because the interest rate payment, the interest rate repayments came directly from the portfolio, so that was on autopilot every month, uh, and it was uh, it was an interest only agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, so so the client sent ad hoc capital repayments. Uh, from his salary, from other savings, uh, also from uh, Brazil based on the exchange rate. Uh, so when the real was a little bit stronger, we would send Brazilian, would convert Brazilian real into euro and then send that back. And then eventually, eventually um, repaid the entire portfolio using capital from the original investment portfolio plus other uh, repayments. So eventually closed the arrangement, um, but obviously it was much more... Uh, Efficient from a financial view and a tax point of view, but that's another that's another area, yeah. right? So I was able to do it more efficiently and uh, and capitalize on a on an opportunity to purchase that particular property. Yeah, so I mean, I think the key takeaway for me in that example, apart from this, you know, flexibility, obviously. Um, yeah. You mentioned that the Brazil had high interest rates, uh, certainly compared to Europe. So. Yeah. In, a, in a sense, they borrowed money in a low interest rate environment and then bought a property in a high interest rate environment. That's right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's one thing. And also, second thing, it was tax efficient to do it that way in his local jurisdiction in Brazil. And also, uh, the currency was favorable at that time. So he played the currency based on uh, the investment into Brazil and also the capital repayments at going out mm, okay. back into euros. Yeah, and the reason I picked up particularly on the interest rate, because I can see maybe a potential application of this from a property point of view, but maybe you, I don't want to take words out of your mouth and it's something we can pick up later, but um, just just thinking through how it could be used really. Um, but I guess, you know, this is this something, uh, this is a bit of a stupid question, Alan, but is this something anybody can do? Oh no, go do? ahead. Yeah, well, is this something yeah. anybody can do? <laughs> Uh, the minimum to make it worthwhile, really, uh, there may be certain advisors who, who recommend it or can access it for less, but to make it worthwhile, it should really be uh, £400,000 of uh, capital to make it worthwhile and to be able to spread that capital into a, a variety of financial instruments, funds, etc. And, uh, you know, from a, from a pricing point of view, it should be 400 k And, um, you know, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, so I guess we're going to move on to that, you know, in terms of what are the risks, what's the worst case scenario, but I'll let you, I'll let you lead the way. I'll definitely ask you about the risks, Summit, but um, 
what it was just build the picture before we come to the gloomy side of it but so sure. uh, but it, so i guess if it's four hundred thousand as a sort of a minimum for for this sort of capital base or this fund that's going to position it for certain types of investor then isn't it yes so yes um, it will if it's if it's 400k we're looking at 60 percent loan to value i said it could go up a little higher but let's work with 60 percent mm -hmm. uh that'll be a 240k uh, loan against that. Mm -hmm. that. That's the maximum that could be arranged. Mm -hmm. uh, bear in mind, when I say 60%, that's subject to uh, more stricter terms and how the portfolio is uh, is balanced. Mm. Yeah, I can see that there's a few moving parts here, but I guess what I was really driving at is it would probably be, have to be a high net worth investor or something? Ideally, ideally, uh, or uh, an experienced professional investor who, who understands the risks. I mean, we do go through all of this. Uh, and it's important to understand, uh, you know, what could happen. I mean, there are cases where the portfolio could lose value. If it loses, uh, let's say, 10%, the loan won't be called. There won't be much pressure on reducing it. But if we have a 2008 scenario, for example, mm. um, and there's a significant loss on equities, that'll, that, may, that may result in the bank saying, okay, we need to reduce, we may need to have some of this loan repaid. Um, we may need to reevaluate re the portfolio. However, when we, Fernhill Partners, when we're working on this type of structure, we, we're quite strict in saying that we're not going to have more than 30% in equities. So even if that went down seriously, it's not going to be damaging in terms of the overall structure. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be saying 50% in equities or uh, even within equities, we won't be saying X in one country or X in emerging markets, for example. So it'll, it has to be balanced. This is a tool. If it's a portfolio in its own right, that'll depend on the client objectives and you know, we can be far more flexible. Uh, but if it's linked to a loan, we've got to be very responsible because the objective is, it's, it's, you know, it's a multi-dimensional set of objectives to uh, buy property, to essentially have control of their capital and use that capital for other reasons and you know, other, other objectives in the longer term. Okay. Uh, to retain control of that capital. Otherwise, you know, they can might as well just go and spend it, right? Well, all we're going to get to is there going to be any sort of uh, rules in, of engagement here? Because obviously, I can see potential that you know someone could go borrow money against their, their sort of hard-earned uh, portfolio and blow it in the casino or something. But uh, we, that wouldn't be sure. uh, that wouldn't be a clever idea. But um, sure. a more practical idea, obviously, you know, we're talking about maybe reinvested in property, and you know, it's in another asset which can earn you money. We can talk about maybe some forms of that, but um, or I can, you know, maybe afterwards uh, add a few examples for our listeners. But just just to, to dwell a little sure. bit on the mechanics. So, if um, to use your, I don't know what example you'd like to use, but could you maybe walk us through an example, but take to, telling us about some of the loan terms that might uh, come out uh, and some of the fee structures and interest rates and that kind of thing. Okay, so the, in terms of. Uh um, loan pricing. So you're looking at one side, which is the pricing of the portfolio. You're looking at the other side. So look at let's let's go back to that example again. Let's say a million pounds. Imagine that's the investment portfolio, mm -hmm. and imagine the loan is 500k. So there are two possible scenarios here. One is if you use two separate institutions. Imagine you use uh, a life assurance company or a fund platform. Uh, to invest the money and then you look at terms of banks who are going to lend against that. 
that's a slightly more expensive option, but it does appeal to a lot of clients. It just depends on what institutions they're comfortable with and what jurisdictions they're comfortable with. So some might say, you know what, a lot of Brits, for example, say we would prefer to go with Jersey, Guernsey, or the Isle of Man. A lot of French clients and German clients will say we prefer to use Luxembourg and Switzerland. It, a lot of it depends on familiarity and where mm -hmm. their existing assets are. But if you separate the institutions out, and it depends on the case size, more investment means you can get better pricing, you know, I'll have more negotiating power with the institutions. So if you're looking at a separate bank and a separate, uh, separate, uh, so separate lending bank and a separate uh, asset management institution, uh, the pricing will be slightly higher, but then again, it depends on the comfort of the investor, right? Um, so you'll be looking at a management fee on the investment side, which can be uh, anything between 50 basis points and 1%. Um, and on the lending side, that's the cost, right? And then if you're looking at the lending side, it'll, it'll be the base rate, depending on whether it's in dollars, so it'll be US Federal Reserve, European Central Bank or Bank of England, depending on the currency, plus a margin. And I've seen margins ranging between uh, 1.5 and 2.5. I'm sure there are variations of that. I'm sure, you know, if you're talking about several million, it could even be lower, lower on both sides. But pricing will, it'll, it'll depend on that. The other, the other scenarios where you have everything in-house, where you have the asset management and the lending conducted within the same organization. That will typically be cheaper on the asset management side. That will typically be cheaper, but they'll be asking for full control over how the money is allocated. So you can't say, you know, I'd like X in equity, I'd like to have this structured note. That'll be fully uh, or largely controlled by, um, by the organization, by the institution providing the asset management and the lending. Mm -hmm. But essentially, if you've got a, a, an investment portfolio of stock shares, bonds, and whatever, you, there'll be fees anyway, right? Just to, to manage that. So there will there will be fees. I mean, it depends if it's a UK investor or someone with a portfolio in Mexico or uh, Switzerland, or or if it's if it's an offshore portfolio in its own right. There'll always be fees. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on uh, depends on where and uh, what the what the fund range is and what, well, what it's being used for. Cool, but what I'm driving at there is, uh, to some extent, and, and I guess there'll be different level of fee, but there will always be a fee for managing the portfolio, the investment portfolio side of it. So, yes. that, yeah, yes, that's, kind of, so that's kind of fairly neutral from my point of view. Yeah, there's a it, can, it can be, it can be, and the thing is fees have come, uh, fees have come down in recent years. Well, let's say especially within the last two years, with, uh, well, in, in the UK, we don't actually advise onshore in the UK. I'd like to make that clear. Um, we're, um, we deal mainly in, in the international market. But in, in the UK and all around Europe, there have been equivalents of the RDR, Retail Distribution Review, and um, more focus on clean share classes. And um, with worth saying that with larger amounts, we can uh, access institutional share classes. Um, so that can bring down the cost of funds and um, asset management. So yeah, it's much more transparent and uh, fees are low and also 
Uh, interest rates are low, so this is a very, very good time to be well, considering this. That's the bit I wanted to pick. That's where I was going. I was kind of parking yeah. the investment costs to one side because someone with a portfolio is going to have to pay those anyway. Yeah, and, yeah. and maybe they can get them better value, but let's just, and I'm sure you could help them get better value. But if we then sure. look at the loan side of it, did you say it's kind of one, one and a half, you know, a margin above a base rate of something like one and a half percent above base rate? One and a half to two and a half, but uh, I'd, I'd say the, the deals that I've structured are usually between 1.5 and 2. So say it's, it's, a, it's going to be roughly two, two and a half percent interest rate then. On the yeah. Money. If yeah. You, yeah, yeah, overall, yeah, combining everything, it'll be yeah, two, two and a half. Okay, and so that would, um, that would compare favorably, certainly with short-term lending costs, won't it? So bridging finance, for example, it's usually double digit, um, you know, cost of borrowing, 10, 18%, that sort of range. So yeah, you, I, I, have um, a, I have a client who, uh, he's not using the, the higher end of the loan to value facility. He's um, he's keeping twenty percent on standby, so he can uh, uh, purchase as a as, you know based on opportunities available. He keeps that available, and he can always uh, gear up if he needs to. He's got well, space to gear up, but at the moment he's looking at twenty percent, uh, mainly it's mainly to buy land actually. So well, that's an example, isn't it, of a use? You could potentially have a facility in place uh, ready to take an opportunity as it presents itself. But, yeah, okay. that's right. So you see, I mean, I saw one today, I'm, I've got a, a mentee who's looking to invest some money and uh, I literally saw an opportunity come across my, uh, my desk today, had to be bought today, but there was a crazy discount for doing so, um, you know, so you'd have to have cash or, or some form of access to funds um, to be able to take advantage of that in a very short period of time. So, yeah, that's right. It's good. If, that is, if that's your uh, intention, it's a good idea to get... Um, uh, approval in advance, and that can be done. That can be done very, very quickly. It doesn't matter which uh, uh, arrangement you have, whether you're using two separate institutions or everything in-house. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to facilitate that and uh, to communicate with clients based on their changing needs. And that's the important importance of independent financial advice. It's really to to have two-way dialogue, and the client can say to me, "We're thinking of buying land or property here." Um, we'll we'll look at we'll look at the uh, arrangements that can be uh, in place as soon as possible, so they can just press uh, fire when needed. So, you've got you've just given a couple of examples. Someone who's got you know money available, set aside, ready to to buy land. That's their particular yeah. preference. You've, sure. you've you've talked about an expat who's bought property, and then. Played the whole, I like to use the phrase geo-arbitrage, you're probably not familiar with that phrase, but effectively using a, a lower interest rate environment for the borrowing, in a, but, but using the funds in a high interest rate environment. That was the first yeah, example. It's having, essentially, it's having more, more control over, over your capital, because you can repay that any time. Um, and you can, it depends, some, some of these, uh, some of these uh, executives who I work with, sometimes they get a bonus, uh, it's paid in a certain currency. They can look at uh, these currency options, salary options, bonus options, or, or repaying from existing savings elsewhere. So there are there are various uh, various permutations available, especially if they've got a, a spread of assets in more than one country.
Well, I mean, if we're talking about property here, I mean, I'm thinking of a scenario that uh, maybe you, you trade property in some way. So you buy it, do some work to it, add some value and then sell it on again. Clearly, in that situation, you could repay the facility out of the sale of that property, couldn't you? Yeah, and uh, one thing, we're, we're maybe slightly off tangent, but if people have got, if they're experienced and comfortable with the idea of leverage, uh, they can they can maintain a small amount. This is not a property comment, but it's more of a, you know, if let's say they're, they're in the process of repaying it from the sale of a property, they can always keep 10 or 20% uh, in there as a, as a loan. And... Um, keep it reinvested in the portfolio. They can buy a structured note paying more than the uh, interest rate, uh, more than the loan rate, let's say, and, uh, and earn a little bit more on that margin. Let's say if the total interest rate is, uh, the margin is 25 to 3%, they may be able to access a structured note for a certain period of time paying 4 4.5% if it's a lock-in for a year or two. Depends, right? Depends what's available at the time. And, and earn, earn 1, 1.5%, for example. I mean, that's our job again to look for opportunities uh, depending on the timing or mm. when the client may need access. If he doesn't need access for maybe two years, we can suggest something a little bit longer. But um, it's all about dialogue and tailoring the solution uh, to the client's requirements. It's interesting, though, because I remember a couple of months ago, somebody asked me a question on Twitter, on my Twitter account, uh, which is the Property Voice. Uh, and yeah. um, the question is something on these lines. I can't remember exactly, but it's something on these lines. It's uh, why would a high net worth investor borrow money? <laughs> so, no, very, very good question. I get that question quite a lot um, because you know, bear in mind, it's not it's not something which is uh, uh, accessed as much as it should be, in my opinion. Uh, the reason is you can you can earn money uh, generally depending on who your advisor is and what kind of recommendations you're obtaining, but you can earn more um, by reinvesting borrowed money. If you, if you can access cheaper money, and we're in a cheap money environment, let's say, if you can earn 1% or 2% more by reinvesting it, that's a, that's a good thing to do. Uh, most high net worth, you know, I speak to a lot of people who are um, working in the private banking sector, and many of them will say, listen, Amit, um, most of our clients are borrowing at least 10 or 20%, even if they're not doing property investments or anything. There's an element of leverage in their portfolio just to gain a little bit of extra margin. And it, it's not 50 or 60%. It's, as I said, 10 or 20%, and it doesn't keep them awake at night. Well, you, that's pretty much my, uh, the summary of my answer, but you could make money yeah. on somebody else's money. Um, you can make the margin, as you put it, um, more than it would cost you to have it. So why not? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. I mean, banks are, banks are concerned with their margin. So, uh, you know, as long as they're making their margin and they're comfortable and that's repeat income for, for them, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that's all they want on their money. So you can, uh, you can put it into, uh, into the portfolio and uh, obtain that margin. That's, uh, every little makes a difference. But you've got to be obviously comfortable and have that kind of dialogue. But it's a very common thing amongst uh, high net worth and more experienced investors. So I think we've covered a number of the benefits. I don't know if there's any that we're missing before we get to the dark side. But the dark side? Well, I can give you I can give you another example, a quick one. I mean, there's yeah. a there's talking about um, some some people may say we want to buy a property, we want to buy a home for our family or, or a second home, for example. But we have a client who has a, a, a an offshore company, um, and it's a it's a trading company, 
and um, with their cash balance, they've decided to take advantage of uh, uh, leverage, and you know, in the company's name, and purchase property in the U.S. Uh, they've seen good opportunities there, and they'd rather leverage uh, the cash in their company rather than you know purchase it directly. So this is another thing, and it gives them flexibility. And if they ever need to use that money for, I don't know, something in their business, making an acquisition or whatever kind of transaction, they have, they have enough cash to actually buy the property outright. Mm -hmm. So they can do that. It just brings more flexibility uh, to whether, you know, whether it's an individual or a company. Sure. I mean, with you know, something like a 50% loan to value, let's just focus yeah. on that for a second. So if my logic makes sense here, I'm trying to interpret it, but let's say if you have that million pounds capital fund that you kind of reference, yeah. with a 50%, yeah. and I'm not saying this is a, you know, go out, go out and do this, it's just an example, but if you yeah. have a million pound fund and a 50% loan to value, what, loan, obviously, yeah. te technically yeah. you'd have 1.5 million available for investment purposes. Right. If, well, if you were reinvesting it into the portfolio, yes. But well, or, or the, yeah. well, not really. Not in that case, because uh, you're keeping you're keeping the million as security. Aren't that's got to be retained in the portfolio. Yeah. So you'll only so have would be invested in a portfolio, so it's already an investment. Yeah. So and a million not. would be in, in the portfolio, and then 50 percent you could take out and apply to uh, anything you wanted. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So you could go and buy a half million pound property. Yes. That's what I was driving at. So in other words, you'd have a, yeah. you would then have a one million pound uh, investment portfolio and a 500,000 pound property. Yes, exactly. That's where I was going really. So, um, so that's, that's useful. What about, uh, what about the downsides and the risks and, you know, Armageddon striking? Well, with, uh, with any, any investment. I don't know whether we had to have a disclaimer before we started uh, talking about this, but you know, investments go up and down, etc. I mentioned uh, the equity component having more risk, but that can apply to absolutely anything on the planet. You know, you can have a fixed income fund which uh, which incurs a severe loss, or uh, you know, maybe they're unable to meet their liabilities. That's uh, that's the worst case scenario. The portfolio could go down. There could be holes in the portfolio then you're left owing the bank with capital which you didn't even put into this portfolio. You'd have to pay that from your salary or other savings. That's the absolute worst case scenario, which is why we say um, have a balanced portfolio. We'll advise on that. Um, the institution will advise on that. Uh, as I gave the example I gave earlier about an in-house, you know, one institution doing everything, they'll structure the portfolio based on loan to value. Um, so it's a question of using a good institution, a secure institution, and a credible jurisdiction with a, with a responsible advisor uh, who's reviewing this on a frequent basis. Yeah, um, so you, yeah, that, you're, you're we have to explain. Yeah, we, have, we have to explain the worst case scenario, but if we're doing things properly, the, the risk of that is, uh, is very, very small. But yes, there is a risk, as there's a risk with absolutely anything, even putting your money in Northern Rock or Lehman Brothers was a was a risk, right? But you know, it's, it's, it can mm -hmm. be. Uh, One that proved to uh, be realised, actually. But uh, 
Yeah, I think, I think uh, the bottom line is yes, anything can be a risk, but you're, there are certain certain measures that you can take. Or in fact, your your advisor should recommend, for example, not having so much invested in, in equities, not having very high loans of value, so that you're not overly geared or overly leveraged. So um, there would be sensible precautions to take, so that you don't overextend yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. In in the past, in the past, um, many. Many advisors who are, you know, not regulated, very, very irresponsible, you know, flyby types. There were there were several cases of failures of, you know, 100% loan to value, even more than that. I mean, uh, thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Not not as far as I know, but you know, you really have to be looking at a balanced portfolio and a transparently priced structure, using no more than uh, no more than 65. There's a reason why that's the maximum available in Luxembourg and Switzerland, that's a, you know, it's mathematically, I guess, the, the maximum that they would see based on all of the, the financial modeling they've done. And we, we say typically 50 to 60 is safe territory. Sure. I mean, obviously, I guess... obviously when, we're, when we're advising clients, we, we won't look at this in isolation. We'll, we'll talk about everything else and their level of experience. They'll be, we'll be going through a detailed fact find, a detailed risk questionnaire, and also understanding what other assets they have to make sure that their eggs aren't all in one basket. Mm. So, um, I mean, in 2008, you mentioned earlier, um, even if you just look at the, I mean, we're, I'm more familiar with the property market, but if you look at the equities market, um, you know, it didn't fall by 100%, did it? <laughs> so No, it didn't. And a lot of it came back. A lot of it came back right. reasonably, you know, within within, let's say, Six months was a significant rebound, and over the next two years, a lot of it came out. No, it didn't go down by 100%. And uh, you know, if you're talking about equities being a smaller percentage, the rest being in fixed income money markets, some in alternative investments, um, where you know structured notes, etc., it's, it's a reasonable balance. Yeah. Okay. So I think we've kind of uh, drawn the downsides out quite well there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sure. I guess I'm going to ask you in a second about whether how people can reach you and if there's anything in particular. But perhaps before we get to that, I wondered if there was anything else that you know we you wanted to cover off and make people aware of, just uh, just with an eye on the time, etc. Um, really, it's uh, it's just considering it as an opportunity, uh, an opp another another method of uh, financing a property, something which is underused, really, and it's. Uh, it's particularly useful for people who have uh, um, who, who want to access lower interest rates and maintain relative control of their assets. Uh, but it's really our recommendations are very much bespoke and uh, dependent on the fact find. We'll we'll often tell people that it's not for them. It really isn't for them, based on you know their we can kind of sense if they're. Um, not that experienced or if they're nervous about doing something like that. There's no point doing something and worrying about it all the time. It's got to be appropriate. And some really benefit from it uh, and it can make a difference uh, uh, to their financial planning, property ownership objectives. Makes sense. And I guess um, you talked about a couple of case studies um, as we've been going through. Is there, is there a way that perhaps people can have a look at those case studies? Yeah, sure. I mean, we. We prefer people to get in touch with us via our website. And there's a contact form which asks for uh, asks some details, not too much, just to make sure uh, um, 
just to make sure you've engaged with us and filled in a few things on the uh, contact form. And that's uh, available at the website www.fernhillpartners.com. Go to the contact form. There'll be a few fields to complete. Uh, get in touch and mention that uh, you've heard the uh, heard this podcast on the Property Voice, and then I'll be able to reply with uh, you know case study examples, uh, a presentation going through some of the uh, some of the topics we've discussed, and then um, we'll we'll talk to you know we'll talk to people for let's say 20 to 30 minutes. It's no issue you know with uh, with that. It's a free preliminary consultation, and we can take it from there. Fabulous. Well, I think um, that's what I was driving at, really. So you, you're you're quite prepared to have that initial conversation, consultation, as you call it, uh, without without charge. I know that the the industry has changed a bit, and uh, obviously you need to get paid for for the work that you do. Uh, but uh, certainly, people could. Well, if, they're, if, they're, if they're if they're listening to us uh, about uh, about leverage portfolios for thirty to forty minutes, I think the least I can do is give them a. Give them a free consultation to see if it's uh, you know see if it's worth going uh, to the next stage. Sounds fair and reasonable, <laughs> reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that they'll probably see that it's been great value. <laughs> I, I <laughs> hope so. I sincerely hope so. <laughs> yeah, no worries at all. Well, thanks a lot. Um, I guess um, I've just reinforced what we were talking about earlier that um, you you can work with people or talk to people no matter where they're located. I mean, just to put that in context, I was contacted by someone in China recently, in Singapore, uh, got a few Australian people who connected to me. Clearly, you have as well. I'm going over to the US sure. uh, next week to look at properties. So I was paying attention to what you were saying there. Um, sure. So, um, and I just bought a property in Spain today. So, uh, but you know, and I, and I, you know, I'm, so I'm buying properties in different jurisdictions. I've got income streams in different currencies. And does is that the sort of person you want to talk to, or does it, you know, good old uh, person in the UK buying a UK asset? Is that okay? I Either or, we can advise. We can advise anyone. And um, as I said about about tax, um, we can we can refer um, appropriate tax professionals. Uh, but we do recommend that sort in the country of the uh, investor's jurisdiction. Uh, by the way, you sound like more of a globetrotter than me. Um, you know, you're talking you're talking about all time zones there. That's uh, it's very flash, Richard. Uh, you you bust me. <laughs> You busted me. Well, no worries. Okay, I mean, well, before we dive too much into my globe-trotting activities, we'll, um, I probably just want to say thanks very much. I really appreciate you uh, nudging me in this direction to talk about the uh, a leveraged investment portfolio. And I, I didn't really sort of grasp it initially, but uh, I kind of do now. It makes a lot of sense. I can see the appeal. Uh, I can also sure. see just see the benefit in talking to someone like you who actually understands a way around this rather than trying to do it yourself. Um, and take on too much crazy risk. So hopefully people will reach out to you and uh, and follow up from today and, and uh, you can give them some good advice. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me on this podcast. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome, Amit. And uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks a lot for joining me today. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Bye for now. Okay, so not everyone has a £400,000 or more investment portfolio lying around, I grant you that. That said, if you do happen to have been wisely invested for some time, uh, or potentially an inheritance or something like that, and have accumulated such an investment value or investment fund, 
then you may be able to use it as security for low-cost lending for property activities. And that's something that maybe some people weren't really aware of. And here are a few potential applications of such a loan for property activities, uh, picking up a little bit on the discussion I had with Amit in, uh, in the interview just now. First of all, it could be used as an alternative to cash and or short-term bridging finance for, say, short-term flip projects or buy, refurbish, refinance projects. So why not use cash? Well, you could keep your cash invested into that fund, uh, which, which provides the security for the loan, which would mean that you'd still be able to enjoy capital and income returns on the fund whilst having access to a low-cost source of finance for your property activities. Of course, that's subject to how the fund is invested for you. And why not use bridging finance? Well, short-term lending in property is often quite expensive in terms of the interest rate. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad value, but it can be an expensive source of finance. And rates can typically range between, say, 10% a year up to anything like 24% a year in some extreme cases being sought by the, the short-term lenders. So at something like 2.5% or so annualised or per year, that's quite a saving that can be made on a short-term borrowing facility from you know, leverage off your investment fund. And of course, it's, uh, it's also using other people's money in terms of the loan for added leverage. Think of it like a, a kind of an offset mortgage, only instead of the debt part of the offset costing you money, if the fund is invested wisely, it could actually make you money, not only on your property project, because after all, that's why you're undertaking a property project to make some money, but equally on the, on the loan equivalent fund invested. As I mentioned earlier, it will be invested for you. You should be able to achieve some kind of return on that. And 2.5% a year is not a high threshold to aim at. But of course, you know, usual caveats apply, you know, past, past performance and your capital could be at risk and all that sort of stuff. The second application I can think of, it's kind of a variation on a theme, I guess. It's uh, medium-term development projects. But, and so in a similar way to flips and buy, refurbish, refinance example that I just gave, um, it, instead here we're looking at using the fund to buy, say, land for development or uh, property for conversion. I guess the key difference is going to be time scales, complexity, and potentially amount of money involved. So um, obviously with development projects and, and those sort of things, they can be lumpier, they can take longer, and they can be a little bit more complicated. So it's just thinking a little bit bigger, I suppose, than an individual property purchase. And the third one, just bear with me, <laughs> I haven't kind of lost my rocker and uh, I'm just going a little bit too gung-ho with this idea, but how about using it as rental property purchase deposits in conjunction with other lending like a commercial loan? Yep, I know. <laughs> It's, um, it, it is one possible idea, taking the idea to an extreme, and it could, of course, lead to something like 100% finance on a rental property. And for this reason, I'd be very wary of using a loan to finance deposits um, to be added to additional borrowing, as you could end up over-leveraging, of course, on that particular property purchase, and, and that would be quite risky. However, in exceptional situations, I stress the word exceptional, I could see it being a useful concept. So, for example, what if you were acquiring a block of flats or a small portfolio, say? 
the idea then would be to probably consolidate that in you know in some way over a period of time so let's say you bought a block of flats you might sell one or two units one or two flats and if you bought a small portfolio you might sell one or two properties potentially you you might do something to fix them up or make them more attractive and more desirable you might tenant them you might extend a lease that sort of thing and, um, and then of course you could sell them off and then you could pay off the the deposit debt which has been secured against your investment portfolio see I'm not <laughs> totally gung-ho here I'm, I'm maybe just thinking about it in terms of uh, a sort of a short-term facility that's how I see this it's kind of a short-term facility I wouldn't recommend it to have long-term buy and hold rental deposits that's for sure because the whole purpose of buying a block of flats or a portfolio is that you should be able to negotiate a discount discount for buying cash discount for buying on block so um, once you've secured that uh, that purchase then of course what you'd be looking to do is to uh, realize market value by selling off individual units and therefore paying down this deposit deposit loan so there's a few applications that I could potentially think of why you were on earth you would consider putting your investment fund at potential risk of, uh, of loan security but um, you know it's using your money to make money by actually having access to somebody else's and um, you know in terms of the type of people this could potentially work for think about asset rich but not necessarily cash or income rich ie cash and income poor it's actually quite a lot of people like that they have assets but not necessarily income or high income think about um, expats Amit in particular deals with a lot of expats he talked about a few in some of the case studies that he walked through now expats they get you know a number of benefits they can sometimes get tax-free earnings or tax subsidized earnings but they could also get certain expenses paid for like rent and school fees and that can accumulate obviously and uh, you might need to might want to be able to put that away Think about high income or high bonus employees. People are getting lumps of money or can set aside lumps of money. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not certainly suggesting it's 400,000 a year, but you know, it could accumulate to that sort of figure for sure. Think about company owners um, sitting on a high cash pile, uh, putting it to use. That was an example that Amit gave in, um, in, in our discussion. And of course, you've got high net worth individuals with an existing investment portfolio probably outside of property as well so um, you can actually have it in property but um, I think you know we're talking here about using non-property assets to invest in property and there's that whole you know diversification of your risk idea as well that we uh, a good wealth manager would talk to you about I'm sure Amit would um, what about trust managers or trustees uh, of funds um, maybe how they could put it to use um, and, and this sort of idea could could help to you know make the the trust uh, make make even more money and so on so okay enough already I can almost hear Amit's disclaimer ringing in my ears right now so it's better that I stop the creative thinking I think but by all means uh, contact Amit through his website Fernhill Partners there's a link in the show notes if you want to get hold of the case studies that he mentioned I think he's got a presentation that he can share with you as well and uh, I'm sure that he'd be happy to have a chat with you um, as he mentioned um, to see if uh, it fits for you and, and it, re it resonates in some way but if this episode wasn't specifically for you and maybe it didn't, didn't resonate fully for you, I'm sorry for that. But I'm also trying to tackle a range of financing techniques that could work across the spectrum. And some might be open to you, whilst others might not be. But of course, uh, if nothing else, I hope it was interesting to hear and uh, you know, someone like Amit sharing some of these case studies of what's actually possible. 
Okay, so that's me this week. Remember, you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, if you want to talk about anything from today's show or more generally in property investing. The show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, of course, as usual. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.